When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Ah, welcome to Inauguration Week special of Fright School. Um, Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How are you? I'm good. What does the sign behind you say? Oh, fried chicken and gasoline. It is. Is that from House of a Thousand Corpses? Yes, very good. (gasps) Yeah, it's uh, Doctor Spal or um, Captain Spalding. Not Do- I was gonna say Doctor Satan. Um, Captain Spalding. It came with like Bambox, which I enjoy. Um, although I did cancel it recently because since I'm going back to school, I've canceled like all of my subscription services that are like mm-hmm. just fun stuff, you know? Because it's like, eh, let me. I, I'll get. I'll get it back in the future. Uh, so I was a little sad to cancel it because I've gotten a lot of really cool stuff from it. Um, you know, a lot of great autographs. They always have an autograph piece and then they always have like something that's like a, um, a, uh, recreation, a replica of like a plot of a uh, prop from a movie. So I've got like that. I've got, you know, like the, um, no swimming, uh, beach clothes sign from Jaws. And I'm just like looking around. I've got a cool pennant for Camp Crystal Lake. Um, I've got like a recreation of Rick's badge from the walking dead. So it's like, there's lots of fun stuff. And then like a bunch of really cool autographs. Uh, the most recent of which was a, a silent night, deadly night Two autograph, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. 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 So, um, who are they again? Bambox. It's called Bambox. Bambox. They have a horror subscription. They have like four different ones. They've got like, I think they've got like a gaming one. um, think there might be one that's specific to anime uh horror and something else like you know just kind of geekery i don't know exactly i never paid attention to the others the only one i was interested in was the horror box so and i've had others i've had like loot fright i Mm -hmm. I did that for a while and then i moved over to bam box um you know which generally i've been very impressed with every month i mean i've had i probably have had them for about a year you know so i've gotten about 12 12 or so of their boxes and i've been pretty impressed each month i think there's only been like you know once or twice i've been like "Ugh, what am i gonna do with that you know Mm -hmm. Um, so stuff uh, some of it is cool somebody else might like so i stash it aside for future fright school cons and giveaways and things um you know but well if they're listening if you want to sponsor us we're happy to yeah yeah i'll buy it back no they should send it to us uh yeah send it to us (laughs) but um i did i do really enjoy it i would i would say that you know i think it was like 25 bucks a month or something like that so not bad you know not bad for those kinds of collectibles Yeah, yeah and um that's where i got like the really cool um an american werewolf in london signed piece the um um uh, sleepaway camp 
autographed piece from uh, Felicia. So there's, yeah, it it was very much worth it. Um, You know, so. Okay. But yeah, I had to cancel it recently and just, you know, just saving money. Well, all my money's going to school books now. And (laughs) she's a starving student. Right. Exactly. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so that's the long answer to your question. Yeah. So (laughs) you um, are in, is that your bedroom? I am in my bedroom. All right. Yeah. Cause uh, there's nothing I can ask you about in the background, really. No, there's, there's a television <laughs> and some medication and <laughs> there we go. Oh, is she medicating? <laughs> She's medicated. Um, <laughs> well, what's interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm in the process right now of buying um, frames so I can start um, framing and putting up my, some various pieces of artwork. So um, I'm in that process right now because I want to redo what's hanging on my wall. I, I realize that when I do like our, my trivia stream or have um, Zoom or FaceTime with people that there's nothing on the, there's nothing in the wall right next to my bed. So that was just behind where I sit. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, on one hand, I guess it's nice because it's like, oh, it makes me, you know, reminds me that I always need to make sure my bed is made. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, it's just like there's nothing, people don't know my personality. So it'd be nice to put some stuff back there. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah I have some nice to say. It's like if any if people meet me on a Zoom meeting and they're like bored with me, they can just look at all the things behind me. You know, they yeah. don't, they don't need to pay attention to me um, um, as you do. My mom you just sit there and stare at books while I talk. I know. I'm just like I'm staring. I was like, oh, he got the he got the Freddie hand back. Oh, he got. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my mom recently she was on a she was on a work call and um, someone she hasn't done many like Zoom on camera stuff, but she had to for this meeting and she. Um, someone was commenting, Oh, you know, what's that thing? You know, Oh, that's a really nice, those are really nice drapes or something like that. And then later she was telling me about it and she was kind of upset. And she was like, why are they looking behind me? And I was like, well, mom, (laughs) that's, that's like the world right now. It's like people looking (laughs) like I look behind every single person I'm on a zoom with. It's like, what's behind you? What did, what, let me into your home. Um, it is interesting. Uh, that that was a really interesting thing with class because uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'd gone to, you know, last year uh, before, um, you know, COVID and all this just, you know, happened. We were still in class, class, you know, going mm-hmm. physically. And then when it all converted over in the middle of the semester and we kind of had to, you know, switch gears, it was very interesting to see people's houses and homes and their lives, you know, beyond that. Uh, we were talking about that too um uh with you know some of my like uh, mental health working friends about as much as it's preferable to see people in person you know because you you do want to know that people are really safe and that you know um it's just easier to read people's body language and to kind of have conversations uh they feel safer as well you know sometimes if people aren't in their home with other people you know they can kind of say other things or be open but um getting this look at the way somebody lives you know Mm -hmm. is is been sort of a unique experience for some people, you know, who have been with uh, certain clients for a long time. And now you're getting kind of this weekly look at their home life. 
you know, yeah. and the background and, you know, which again can of course be staged or changed, or maybe somebody just sits in front of a blank wall, but you know, if they're there with children or they're there with, you know, a spouse or whatever, you know, it's just kind of, you're getting this unique opportunity to mm-hmm. um, see them in their natural quote unquote, natural element, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is, um, yeah, just as a people watcher type person, it is, it is interesting, you know, meeting and chatting with people this way and going, Oh, so that's your home. Um, it's like, Oh, those, that, your, that art is a choice. Right. Exactly. Um, or with you, your beige walls of nothing, <laughs> my beige walls of nothing, <laughs> which like is really, I mean, I, I'm at a point where it's like, I do have like really fun, interesting pieces of art that I want to, um, that like I have been meaning to put up and now I'm like, okay, well I guess a year into a pandemic and work calls, um, you know, it would be a nice way to kind of put all that stuff up. So are you the type to really personalize a space? Like when I'm in it, when I'm in an office, like, I mean, gosh, that's been like the hard thing about leaving my job is I've been there for, you know, over, you know, five, or I've been there for about five years Mm -hmm. and I personalize a space clearly, you know, like my uh, desk, my, you know, has things on it. I have, you know, a board that has pictures and art and things that I've collected, you know, uh, over time, you know, I've got cards and things from, you know, clients and, um, you know, other people that come into the, into the clinic. And, um, you know, so it's like, it's very like, if you came into our office, you would know immediately, this is Joshua's workspace, you know, like you just, it, I'm all is there like a Victorian lamp and lace and <laughs> no, there's like cobwebs and, and you know there's <laughs> a lot you know lots of photos obviously this is Joshua people. he's spooky exactly <laughs> definitely reads that yeah so people come in and you know sometimes I'll come you know I had come in over the years and there's somebody standing like looking at the pictures and you know looking at you know the things like oh this is your stuff <laughs> So do you, do you, are you that type of person as well? I am. I, I, especially at work, I like, I like the idea of like having things that show a little bit of personality. Mm. Um, Sometimes I think the way I operate is that I like to have very like specific, if I'm going to have like cultural references at my desk, they're going to be very specific. So that yeah. way, if anyone sits there, they can also, we can delight in our shared knowledge of something. Like I have a red swing line stapler. Like, which is a reference to office space right. that's like right <laughs> next to my desk. And then I also have some, um, I have some stuff that's like some Guam stuff and um, Legos. Like I'm a big like Lego person. So I have like Lego figurines and, um, and then like the last couple Halloweens, I've gone a little bit more. Um, I didn't used to decorate my desk for Halloween, but then I started to, but I started to do like really specific things. Like, yeah. The first year I would cut out pictures. I cut out pictures of like all these final girls mm-hmm. and I just put them on my cubicle. Yeah. <laughs> it was this like little collage. Oh yeah. And I, then, I remember talking about that with you. Yeah, yeah. And then last Halloween that we were in the office, 2019, I did like, I just displayed the artwork that I've collected from cons and oh, my, um, uh, this little board that I have with all my different horror pins. Um, so tasteful and then i think i had one um a friend of mine who um she's a she's a massage she's a an esthetician but she also is like a crafter and she um excuse me she 
did uh, two images from the Midsummer Wall, like the uh, mid in the in the big yeah, in the great house, yeah. and I put the one of the bear. <laughs> in a frame and I had it there and you know, it was just a fun thing as people like, Oh, wow, that's really interesting. And I'm like, yeah, if you know what it's from, then it's really terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I can see that. And sometimes you kind of can tell your people, you know, and I definitely have that. Like sometimes because I have like, um, a lot of photos of me with like different people, you know, like Melissa Etheridge and Paula Cole. And we also have a picture with John Waters and I've got pictures with, you know, various authors I've met at book signings. And so I keep a lot of that up. I, I call it my wall of, um, uh, you can't quit your job because then you can't afford to like, <laughs> so it, yeah. So it's like, I kept, I, I keep all these like, you know, reminders of like experiences and the reasons that I work, the reasons that you stay, yep. you know, working. Um, because I am need money to pay for those that those things, uh, you know, but you can always kind of tell people that go in and, you know, I've got pictures like with Jackie Beat and other drag queens. So they're like, oh, my God, is that Jackie Beat? Oh, that's John Waters. Oh, that's, you know, and I go, oh, you might be my people. Let's chat. You know, maybe you're somebody. that we can... <laughs> Maybe you're yeah. nice. Maybe we like you. Yeah, maybe, you know, especially with like, you know, um, because we always have different changing providers and stuff that come through, you know, for a year or so. Sometimes you don't really want to bother to get to know them too much. And sometimes you're like, wow, you're very cool. Let's chat. Are you staying in San Diego? Or are you moving elsewhere? Like, maybe mm-hmm. it'd be fun to, you know, hang with. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of get that. Do, do people, I, I, it would be so tempting for people to like come by and steal that red stapler all the time. Is that, that's gotta be like a joke when you're there with that. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people don't get it. Oh, <laughs> They just think it's like, so, so another thing I like to do is I like to, um, I like to collect the, I like to collect, um, items from, uh, coworkers who have moved on, who have let not from this mortal coil, but like have left the um, our team, and so I collect them as like totems of, you know, their essence, like you know, little Horcruxes. Um, okay. <laughs> and so, creepy. The stapler actually is um, one of the someone who she was part of my, my, the first hiring panel that I was, when I was interviewing for the job that I have. And, um, and then when I got hired and then she retired like three years ago, two, three years ago, and she had the red swing line stapler. And before she left, I, I, I asked her, I say, Hey, you know, I collect things from people who leave. Like, can I, can I have your stapler? And she's like, Oh yeah, sure. I don't think she knew about office space. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but it's like, it is like, it is a red swing line stapler (laughs) that, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, well I'm going to take this. And then like, I have my, the, my cube mate who also retired. I took her water glass. I've taken like two, like inspirational posters from other coworkers. I have, you know, these are all like, they're the ashes of former coworkers that I, like surround me, surround me in this sort of like office space branded. Oh no, it's like just a regular swing line stapler. That's hilarious. Huh? Well, if I worked with you, I would definitely come by and try to steal it. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm always curious, especially now because I I kind of left my desk in a state of like suspended animation. I've yeah. been back to my desk a handful of times in the last year. Um, the last time was just to like I forgot that I had like a, a some candy in a in a jar. <laughs> like uh, it was like sweet and sour candy that was just empty, open in a jar. So I just threw the whole thing away. <laughs> Um, cause I also keep snacks in my desk for, um, 
um, sometimes we have, uh, sometimes we hire temporary workers over the summer and usually they're a bunch of college students. So, um, and you know, I don't know if that maybe they have like food insecurity or whatever. And I just like to have snacky things. So I'm just like, Hey, do you want to like, do you want to like a granola bar or something? <laughs> and wow, cause a lot of times cool. over the years, they're like, Oh yeah, I don't eat breakfast or I haven't had breakfast this morning or yeah. this is my breakfast to a cup of coffee. And I'm like, okay, well, as someone who likes to have like, you know, egg and toast every day, at least here's a, here's a granola bar. Oh, um, that's sweet. That's very motherly of you. Um, <laughs> Speaking of mother, uh, mm-hmm. are you caught up with uh, RuPaul? That RuPaul's was, that uh, was a 360 degree turn there. Sorry. Um, RuPaul's, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a meme, but my friend Jake has a podcast and he titled his most recent episode on it. It's a RuPaul's Sanford Experiment, a Stanford Experiment. That's, yeah, right. Oh my gosh, that's so perfect. What's the name of that show? Um, his show is called, uh, oh, Get Back to Me. I'm going to look it up because I... I ex- escape the, the name escapes me. Some but friend you are. I know. I think um, it's called The Warp. <laughs> like like a that Thorp. Like oh okay. It's a like podcast that. for fans. Okay, that's cute. They're fans of things. They're two Baltimore comedians. Him and his friend, I believe, Michael is their name. But cool. shout out to them. Uh, but yeah, I, it's so interesting because um, I like the groups are very different. Like the winner circle and the rest, like they're very different sets of queens. Yeah. And like like the winner circle is like very big personalities, very um culturally diverse, ethnically racially diverse. And then you have like the rest where they're very it's very except for um Miss Iman, uh, you know, the Grand Dame Queen, Mm -hmm. everyone is like white and thin and fit. And like the, that team is like the trade of the season, all of them, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, they took the Queens with like, (laughs) the Queens with like, you know, talent and melanin and put them on one side. And then like the white, (laughs) the basic white Queens on another team. And it was just like, watching this most recent episode, it was hard not to, (laughs) focus in on that fact and how like you know mother iman is just well, kind of like Kamora in there too on that team what was that Kamora hall what Kamora hall well on that team too she is on that team but i still count her as basic okay because like i see what I, I, okay yeah i mean again save for iman um i forget her name uh her first name but you Tamisha, know from the house Tamisha, Tamisha, Thank you, thank you. Um, save for her, like everyone else there is like they're s- pretty basic. So yeah, um, I I'm not differentiating too many of them yet. Um, I really um, I like Simone. Um, I like Tamisha because I I I do enjoy that old school like vibe of like dragdom, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Utica. Uh, I always like a goofy, you know, she's kind of like, she reminds me of um, Crystal Method and, you know, those sorts of queens that kind of do really, you know, unique Uh takes on their makeup and kind of goofy and there's a lot of color and a lot of, you know, I was shocked by her religious um, expressions. I think that, Uh you know, very unique to drag uh race at least i mean i i know others have had religious but it's been i i feel like it's not um 
not often talked about, you know? Yeah. So that I thought that was interesting. Or it's more about like the rejection from said religion, you know, that whole storyline. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. So right now, I mean, and I like Got Mick, obviously. There is a, a bit of, um, you know, stunt pulling, you know, vibe that, you know, kind of have to think about in context of the rest of the show. But I think she herself is amazing as a queen. Like Mm -hmm. I like her looks and you know what she does, but um, you know, anytime they want to like highlight and be like, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I guess I shouldn't say too much more because that might not be in the intent, but you know, Dragula really um, got ahead of drag race really fast with like diversity. And um, you know, I mean, I think their first winner was a drag King. Uh, mm-hmm. which we've not yet seen a drag king compete on RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, RuPaul has a very clear definition of what drag should be. And she said that, you know, um, that she wants it, you know, she wants people who are male, quote unquote, performing as as women, you know, and that and and keeping that a very kind of strict line. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how this kind of continues to change uh, drag race. Um and obviously, I consider Got Mick in as part of that. Obviously, he is a you know a male person performing his drag, but it's um, mm-hmm. you know again, it's that line that RuPaul kind of has drawn in the sand. So I don't know. This is kind of having Got Mick on there. I think is a nice. We're starting to kind of think about gender and think about you know a little bit outside the box with drag race so i'm hoping it because it's just uh, for me personally it's just getting boring you know so Mm -hmm. i think we have to kind of explore having some you know queens on there with beards and queens on there that are just yeah pushing boundaries a little bit more yeah Um, absolutely but you can and the audience for this is is mainstream you know a lot of straight people a lot of yeah uh, straight white women, you know, mm-hmm. um, and obviously gay men who have, you know, investment in, you know, some of these same narrow definitions of whiteness and feminism or, you know, whiteness, femininity, masculinity, you know, these very binary um, institutions. So I don't yeah. know. Maybe we can't expect that drag race will be that cutting edge um as it as it kind of continues to mainstream drag so i'm glad we have dragula and i'm excited to see what else kind of builds out that might be a little bit more dangerous you know mm-hmm. ho- holding up that dangerous institution of drag i don't think drag race is doing that no um it's definitely more it's definitely on the mainstream um which you know rupaul is a mainstream is a mainstream queen like right. we're so yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's very, I mean, she's very beautiful and, you know, kind of doing that kind of drag, you know, but, you know, we were talking earlier because it just, they estimate that RuPaul is worth $60 million. Okay. And I, and I have to think, I mean, part of that's the fracking probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, head of a, a giant media empire that is, you know, becoming world franchised, you know, yeah. um, very fast. But, but really the fracking. <laughs> well, I, I just don't want to discount that that's not part of the money, but obviously mm-hmm. also, you know, it's kind of like, she's had like the Ellen DeGeneres thing, you know, where like, Oh, so I the bottom's about like, to drop out. Huh? <laughs> The bottom's about to drop out then. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. But what I mean is Ellen DeGeneres at one time in pop culture was like at the lowest, 
You know, mm-hmm. she had this horrible experience, didn't know if she would come back. And now she has come back and like full force become this massively wealthy um, entertainer and, you know, media person. And RuPaul has had that same thing. And I, and I, I was talking earlier, it must be really, really surreal, especially if you've watched Wig um, or Wigstock or other documentaries mm-hmm. or videos of that time in the 80s and the 90s when when um, Ru was still kind of coming up and still, you know, um, you know, a celebrity, a celebutant, but not like, you know, what she is now that this, it just must be really freaking surreal to think about mm-hmm. playing in some, you know, club in Atlanta, Georgia, when she's in her 20s, thinking like one day I'm going to be worth $60 million and like the world is going to know who I am, you know, mm-hmm. um, on the scale that they know Madonna and share, you know? Yeah. That- I'm going to do an annoying old Navy commercial and <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Like that, that has to be surreal. So again, I don't, you know, even though I don't think drag race, I, I don't think it explores the most dangerous aspects of drag. Um, you know, I do think there's sort of a mainstreaming and a congeniality that gets kind of created. Um, you know, and, and like specific looks like, you know, their faces, you know, a lot of times kind of look the same and there is this sort of um, homogenization of, of it. Obviously it is still pushing a lot of boundaries in some places and um, is still dangerous to some extent, but I, I just, um, you know, personally, I want to see drag doing other things. You know, I think of people here mm-hmm. like Glitz Glam and Disco Dolly, you know, here in San Diego that are, you know, doing this very interesting you know, take on drag and gender expression. And I'd like to see more of that because that is a big part of drag as well. That's the thing. Drag isn't just men trying to look like women and trying to, (laughs) you know, female illusion. There's this whole other very important part of drag that gets kind of er erased in the mainstreaming of it. And then Uh you see that online be reflected by drag race fans who are like, well, that's not drag. And it's like, well, you don't get to, you don't get to tell me what is and isn't drag, you know? And I think that's what's sad, you know, or the people, like I said last time, who are these um, icons of drag have to deal with, you know, why are you, why do you do your makeup like Trixie Mattel? And it's like, ask her why she does her makeup. (laughs) You know, there's just this erasure of history. Yes, and now we're like people get people believe that everyone is a culture comment, you know, culture commentator and the the, the gatekeepers of culture, like gate exactly. and all of that stuff. And obviously, that's us. So, <laughs> yeah. And on that note, <laughs> you're all on notice. <laughs> Continue listening to Fright School, where we uh, give you our analysis of things and how we feel about them. Um, <laughs> We're not, I mean, we're also not saying like, that's not horror. Like we're not, we don't, no, no. we don't do that. We're not, that's a thriller. Or- I'm not saying what they're doing isn't drag. Yeah. Obviously it's a drag. I mean, and again, there are, you know, when you do look at drag race, it's not only the pretty girls that have won. There have been some very interesting people that have won, mm-hmm. um, you know, and gone on to do exciting things. So obviously it, it does work both ways. I just, um, the longer it stays on and the more it goes, I just want to see it evolve more. And I wanted to see it include more parts of drag. And I kind of miss where there were those like history moments on the show. And, you know, I think there should be more of that because I do think young people being raised on it, young queer people, you know, um, could learn a lot from it as well. 
Yeah. I mean, this is also, this is an opportunity to also teach a bunch of like, you know, white women Mm -hmm. to teach Karen everything. Yeah. No, true. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, That is true. And that is always kind of the, uh, you know, obviously a benefit, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking about the queer kid I was and, you know, it would have been cool to have had something like this on television, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been enough, but I would have thought it was, you know, because you get those narrow kind of viewpoints like we've discussed in the past with like will and grace are you a will or are you a jack like that's not right mm-hmm. but that is you know what i mean when we were coming up that's what it yeah. gets defined as because that's what everybody else knows so yeah. and just for the listener out there um when it comes to joshua and i i am <laughs> i am a grace and and <laughs> and joshua is a karen so <laughs> Oh, honey, that's funny because it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, um, yeah. Wow. Lots of lots of drag race conversation. Uh, Okay, let's let's stop there and we'll come back to talk about what we're actually here to talk about. Uh, The purge. Election. uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's because I, I know we mixed them up. So the purge election year on this, our inauguration week special. We'll be right back. Meanwhile, in New Jersey. So Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and We horror. can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. Yes, the Purge election year. So we, um, like we said on the first episode, we wanted to take these out of order a little bit. So we did the original purge and then we're doing the purge election year. So we can kind of be uh, a little timely with the inauguration happening. Um, so next week's episodes will combine anarchy and the first purge to uh, discuss further um, the uh, conversation about the poor and uh, dis- uh, disenfranchised um conversations that are happening there so this one we're going to kind of focus more on the politics of the purge and sort of that reflection that we see um you know this is probably the most on the nose like you don't have to dig very far for this so uh, this should be a uh, you know a fun easy accessible episode of bright school if you've seen uh the purge election year so uh this came out in 2016 um let's see when july of 2016 july mm-hmm. there we go hey he just can't help himself he's got to yell and holler uh so uh we've got who's on writing james demonico uh and the blumhouse uh, or no directed and written by james demonico and uh blumhouse is on production along with platinum dunes uh we got who's all in this one um, Frank Grillo, Elizabeth Mitchell, oh. Frank Gri- Grillo, Grillo. Is that how you say that? Maybe it's Grillo. 
I think it's, I've always pronounced the L as the hard L, Grillo. McKelty Williamson, Joseph Julian Soraya, um, Betty Gabriel back. Obviously she was in, um, you know, Lainey Rucker and other Mm -hmm. um, parts of the the franchise. But again, we'll discuss those uh, later. So we'll just kind of focus on this. So, you know, this is sort of uh, this is the last in the original kind of series because they're they're going to do another one. But this was thought to be the final, you know, and then they did a television series that's sort of in the middle of the films. Um, so this uh, film, you know, looks more at uh, what happens when, you know, a politician wants to end the purge and, you know, what happens to her that's that's what this is and how they want to uh, change the rules so that they can prevent her from doing that uh, she's mm-hmm. a presidential candidate so what did you think joe um well i've overall i've enjoyed uh the purge films as just you know again fun horror action i don't know it's weird because it's like as i'm watching them they have at least the second and third films because i've watched up to election year um they have like less the horror element and more the action element um especially with frank grillo who is like this kind of pseudo action star um you know that or i shouldn't say pseudo he is an action star like a b b level bc level action star we we have all that kind of worked in there so it's just interesting for me to watch it and just like not feel feel differently and the response, the emotional response that I have is less on the horror realm. Um, even though that that's definitely what it's trying to be. Um, it gives me a lot of this film had a lot of like, um, saw vibes for me, like kind of that, like, you know, that machine rock, uh, very hallucination type of situation going on, blurry camera and all that stuff. So, but I mean, overall I, I enjoy kind of the mythology of it. And I do like the connection. I do like that. We stayed with like a same character. Like, again, we're taking these out of order, but the fact that like Frank Grillo's character, the Sergeant is the same one from the previous one. You know, I like that kind of continuity um, aspect to it. I mean, overall I did enjoy it and I thought it was, um, I thought it was very interesting to kind of put this into perspective of um, into, I mean, we can get into a little bit later, but like the cultural perspective of um, or the historical perspective of like where we were when the movie was made. And like what was going on in the world at the time. Um, yeah. As far no. as. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to clarify because I misspoke for some reason. I thought that um, Betty Gabriel was in another. I thought she was in another purge film, but she's not. She was only in the election year. I think I'm mixing her up from being in something else. Um, so. Oops. Correction corner. <laughs> for some reason, okay. I was thinking that she had. um story elsewhere um but it's okay i'm obviously you're allowed you're allowed um (laughs) but uh no i think that's a great place to start because obviously we can draw a lot of parallels to uh last you know week or two (laughs) of of how um you know but again you know 
anybody with eyes could have seen what's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, having come. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, that is very so true. It's not like it's that, uh, you know, prescient in that in that way. But yeah, um, let's start there. What did you What did you want to talk about specifically? Because I know so, you had interest in, and uh, you had reached out and said, "Oh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some historical things." So what's interesting is like we and we talked about the New York Times article of analyzing the Purge films um, mm-hmm. in in our last episode, and the kind of the beginning of the article um, starts out about like you know how movies are very movies themselves are very difficult to kind of, you know, gauge the current conversation because from the time you write a film to the time it's like in the theaters um, or has been released, it's like, it's it's at least two years. And so to have something that's very um, timely and, and prescient is, is, you know, a huge confluence of, you know, uh, circumstances. And, the idea is that like the purge is like still very much um, like those people had a crystal ball. And we talk about that all the time. Like we talk about the circumstances in which movies were made and, and how they fit into the different, you know, historical timelines. So what's interesting with um, the purge election year is that, you know, if you take at least that kind of two year timeline, right? Like we have the two year timeline where, um, at the very least, you could have been like 2015. We have um, uh, 2015. Um, I believe that was when um, March 15 is when uh, Trump has the exploratory committee to consider his run for president. And then, you know, it kind of all goes downhill from there. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But what's interesting is that, like, you know, this is very much kind of framed against, this movie was framed against that, like, particular, the presumptive run of um, not so not so much Trump, but definitely of Hillary Clinton right. as kind of the, like, you know, presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party. Um, and when the film came out in, I believe it was July, you know, in that year, uh, in that month, Bernie officially endorses Hillary Clinton, calling for unity across the Democrats. And oh wait, which purge? Um, election year when yeah, election, election year, year came out in twenty sixteen. Yeah, so in in July of twenty sixteen, we have um, Bernie officially endorses uh, Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. and um you know, we have, there's all of that going on and, you know, whatever, and all of that that came with as far as like the fracture within the Democratic Party for those who are the more progressive, uh, more on the left, who were wanting a better candidate, but, you know, don't, don't get that. So, um, so it's interesting to kind of see that like, that is kind of, to see how that's kind of playing out in the film, Right. Um, this woman who was up against like these shadowy male figures. Um, and then, um, and then like they choose like a religious figure, which was really, which I thought was really interesting, which, you know, it can always be said that like women versus religion are always going to be, um, um, is always going to be something, but yeah. So I was just kind of looking a little bit at, um, those particular things as far as like, you know, the film is trying to be 
impression about those things. And little did they know that, you know, there was going to be this conversation. And then as we get to like the first purge, which, you know, very much is exploring the concept of like the race and the purge and all of that. And we'll look again a little bit more at those, um, at that historical time frame in which it came out too. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, a lot of what you uh, just said, I, I made notes on. So I think that's a good place to, uh, to chat, uh, to start kind of talking. So I think the Hillary Clinton y- y- analysis, I think is, is appropriate. <laughs> um, obviously in this uh, film, uh, you know, you have, Charlene, Charlie Roan, she's this, uh, you know, U.S. Senator, wants to be president. She also wants to save the world, obviously, because they always do. And she wants to end the purge. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, this film is not being um, delicate at all. Like, there's not really subtext. They have a room full of white men and, and you know, a few women going, we must stop her at all costs. and We must kill her because, you know, we have to keep killing the poor and people of color so we can all stay rich. Ha 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 ha. It's very, like, you know, maliciously that kind of uh, discussion (laughs) in a way, Um, you know, very forward about what their motives are. Yeah. Which by the way, they get like the two like white actors who always play like, um, like white male assholes. Yeah. Yeah, That the guy that like the head of it, who's like, you know, calls her the C word and we have to like, yeah, you always see him being some slimy. Yeah. And then the, uh, the head of the military. Oh, and the minister. Well, the, the, well, the, yeah, the guy who's the military guy, I'm like, okay, Nazi. Oh, no, well, I keep thinking of him. He's the, the, her opponent, the other candidate yeah, who's very he, churchy. He's very churchy. He, he, he <laughs> plays the villain in, um, well, he plays not the villain, but like he plays a rich asshole on Veronica Mars. Uh, okay. <laughs> he's Veronica. Veronica's friend who dies in the first season is like, the mystery of the whole first season it's her father and he's like a rich asshole so he so the whole time i'm like oh no wonder they got you like (laughs) you you rich fuck um but to your point before i i'm sorry before i went on my rich assholes rant no you're fine that's perfectly acceptable um i think it's important uh to you know just kind of you know we're talking about that um (laughs) you know but they want to you know and her, you know, I'm pretty sure the same conversation happened when Bernie Sanders was running for president. Uh, we must stop him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because, the, you know, like they, you know, there's a threat to both parties, you know, yeah. and I, you know, I'm pretty far left. So I don't see a massive difference between Republicans and Democrats uh, personally. Um, you know, I think there are some surface things. You know, uh, you know, that 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 are different, but at the heart of it about truly doing what's right, ending war, ending poverty, expanding education, expanding health. I don't think that is in the interest of anybody serving in our government, truly, Um, at least the long term people. Obviously, we've got, you know, young people in there and there's the squad and all of this kind of conversation. And, you know, there is those discussions, but even they have to play establishment politics and that's always going to uh, keep us kind of mired in um, you know, sort of where we are uh, and continue to lead where we see we're going. <laughs> um, but 
I think what's interesting in this film and something that, again, because the first purge came after, I don't know how much really good analysis of, um, you know, race and all of that was really happening with the writers, because I think this film kind of could have been even better, you know, having that kind of conversation because at the heart of it, it's, it's got a real white savior, magical Negro, sacrificial Negro tropes in it. Uh, you know, we got to do everything we can to save this white woman. Cause she has our best interests in mind. And that, you know, these are white people. Like <laughs> it's like, I love black people. It's all, it's like one of the last scenes oh, yes. where, yeah, I love black people, but these are our white people. And I'm like, no. Uh, Yeah. Um, So that it's just kind of, it could have, it was sort of lazy because I actually think there's something very interesting if they had kind of um, had a conversation about the ways that white women are arbiters of white supremacy and kind of, you know, are, are kind of used in, in a particular way as a function of white supremacy and of, of patriarchy, you know, the ways in which white women uphold that again, not always maliciously, but just, you know, the interests are there to keep on to power and privilege and wealth, you know? <laughs> and so I, I thought that, you know, at the beginning of this movie and kind of seeing, I'm like, Oh, they could have a really interesting conversation here, but they don't. And that's unfortunate. Um, and anything like anything with proximity, you know, it's all about your proximity to white supremacy, right? So right. when you're thinking about like white supremacy at the seat of, at the center of white supremacy is like cis white male, you know, cis white maleness, then like the proximity to that is like cis white femaleness or women right next to that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I like um, this, uh, this uh, review from Flavor Wire, uh, the purge electioneer provides a depressingly familiar portrait of race in America. Mm-hmm. I like the Sorry. <laughs> the wind's open in here in the door, but I'm also trying to keep Hemlock from screaming and yelling. Um, so sorry. So um, Dixon and other supporting characters of color end up trying to escape government goons and avoid elaborately masked purgers to keep Roan alive. This makes election year yet another feature where characters of color gain their humanity and legitimacy only through their allegiance to protect and save a white character. She is blonde and uh, she's a blonde savior dressed in white who needs saving because her moral superiority is the only force strong enough to end the purge. The final installment of this series uh, supports a pacifist position that begs oppressed groups to keep faith in a political system that has never served them and to resist violence under savage circumstances. By reaffirming that only white people hold the power to change laws and instill integrity, the purge election year misses the point of today's racial justice movement by miles which I absolutely agree with. And I think that is sort of like, that's a very real world conversation about where we've come and what happened at like the Capitol and how there's always this, you know, there's this conversation that, um, you know, again, things are not black and white. We have to be more comfortable with gray areas. We have to be more comfortable, obviously having conversations about, you know, the interests and the motivations of people who are not like us, but you know, for ease, we break things down as like conservatives versus liberals, Republicans versus Democrats. I also think a lot of people, it's action versus inaction. You know, Republicans and their base are very action oriented 
and active and organized. And you, we saw that with like what happened with the Capitol as, you know, as the weeks have, as the days have gone on, we're seeing how planned. Mm-hmm. For the, for the most part. Yes. I mean, there was, I agree with you that like there, there is definitely more planning and more, but like, there was also a lot of it that was also very bumbled and clumsy. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. And I think, again, and it, it kind of shows, it was sort of a reflection also of, of like the mirror of like the Occupy Wall Street movement, where a lot of people with liberal left ideas came to those protests with a huge continuum of what they were going to do and not going to do, you know? And so you had people there that were like, let's guillotine the bankers. They're destroying the world. And people that are like, I lost my home and I'd like my home back. And other people that are like, I want $10 an hour, you know, uh-huh. there was a lot, there was a, a massive continuum of, of, of interest. And I think the same thing was true, but we're seeing that the, that, that there, there was planning and there, and, and I just think their base is way more charged than mm-hmm. the left, especially now, you know? Yeah. Um, Again, like we can't figure out how to get out of a room together, and they're like, you know, who brought the zip ties, uh, <laughs> and yeah. who ripped out things in the in the in the Capitol, and who was on the inside. I mean, this, you know what I mean? It's like it's just kind of scary. Not again. I'm not trying to have a big conversation about the Capitol because we're still. It's going to be a long time before we have a really good political analysis of what of what happened, you know, and, oh, yeah. and, and even truth. I mean, there's a lot of fear out there and there's a lot of fear mongering and I'm probably contributing to it in some ways. Uh, but I, the, really what I underscore with, with, with friends and conversations on the left is like, we don't underestimate and do not think that this is going to go away with Trump leaving office. You know, like there's, we can't, we need to be careful and have, you know, conversations and continue to have conversations about how we're going to, you know, get through the next, <laughs> this difficult, mm-hmm. tumultuous political time. So the reason I say, the, the reason I bring it up though, is because in those moments where this organization, the new founding fathers are violent and they will do any, anything necessary to keep their power and to keep their, um, their wealth and to keep the purge going because it benefits them. And, and they're getting a position to end that guy. And she's like, no, no, we can't be like them. We can't stoop to that level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, again, it's that they're, you know, um, we need to be unified and we need to find unity with Nazis. Like, no, sometimes being like them is the only option, you know? And so I think that that is sort of the scary place that we find ourselves in. Like, again, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to see violence happen and I'd like us to find ways to remedy the, the situation we're in without it. But at the same time, it's a very, this film presents a very interesting thought experiment in that situation of like, Mm -hmm. you know, these people want to kill you, you know, trying to reach across the aisle is not maybe the answer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, again, it's like I, on one level, right? Like I totally understand where she's coming from. Yeah, of course. That's sensible, rational the sensible rational but also like you know again you you cannot 
if it's going to be is she's trying to win on a moral on a moral basis right. like the morality of murder and all of that so mm-hmm. if she's trying to win on that like she cannot be seen as being complicit in the murder because she was basically using the current institution which means that it works to some degree right, right. so i get that but at the same time like you can't tell these people who are you can't tell these people who have lived you know who 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 don't have the luxury of being who at a being like a high level politician that up until that year couldn't be killed right. and B have the security and all of that stuff. Like these people created their own grassroots effort to keep each other safe. Again, it's right. like, yeah, we see mutual aid on display a lot in this film. Exactly. We see mutual. I mean, same thing with the, the triage ambulance. Like, yeah. again, it's that it's one of the tenets of like, Black Lives Matter or Black, right. you know, any kind of um, mutual aid is that we keep each other safe. We keep each other safe. We don't, you know, associate with other with the state in that way. So it's interesting to see that clash between the two of them where it's just yeah. like, you know, I believe that you can do this. But at the same time, like you need to understand where we're coming from and that like it's only going to get worse. Right. Right. Like, Yeah. No, that's, yeah, it's, that is, that's, I, I, I agree. I think that is obviously where she's coming from. And a lot of people come from that aren't necessarily being maliciously, um, arbiters of the status quo, but that mm-hmm. does, that keeps people, you know, in danger, you know, I mean, it's just the people that are like, you know, that were dismissive all this time over Trump's, you know, co- you know, comments and mm-hmm. inciting people to violence. And they're like now going, oh, you know we have to leave office or we have to, you know, we have to stop this. We have to turn off his Twitter account. Cause he's just, you know, getting too out there. And it's like, you let him go for four years while you profited off of him, putting him on your media, you know? So it's like, there's, yeah. there's a complicity there, um, you know, and I kind of laughed and this is where, again, this isn't a political film, you know, quote unquote, it's not like a documentary. It's not an, you know, trying to be an analysis of the presidency, but it's laughable to be in like a room and to have this conversation with, you know, this group of people she's in and say, you know, I can't have my presidency built on murder. I'm like, what else is it built on? <laughs> you know, like that conversation, you know, I think it could have pushed it a little bit more and challenged that. Um, obviously that yeah. doesn't serve the overall, you know, goal of the film um, to get this kind of conclusion to like, how did we end the purge? Um you know, and this is how we're going to, you know, get through life. We're going to be civil and we're going to win elections, um, you know, and, and, and change our lives that way. And then once we do, you know, because even at the very end of the film, it's like, oh, there are rabble rousers who are rejecting this, you know? And so it kind of gets into, you know, what they could explore in another film or two, um, you know, but I just, you kind of want that, like, critique to kind of come up because i feel like if i had been in that room and she's like you know my president she built on murder i'd have been like girl what be quiet <laughs> like what are you I don't want president to murder. <laughs> yeah you know yeah. there's a great cartoon of like you know these people you know in the arab world running from bombs and it's like oh but it's lovely they're coming from a woman now you know it's like that kind of critique that kind of awareness of you know the white supremacy and um, imperialism inherent in the military industrial complex and the things that i feel like in this film the purge are representing you know the purge itself as a as an entity in this film is is about you know unchecked capitalism white supremacy 
you know, being used to, you know, how, you know, being it's genocidal, you know, and so we see that directly commented on. And again, we will explore those further in the next episode, um, how, you know, how the other films in the series really tackle those uh, in a real way. So I just kind of wanted, you know, this, this one, um, really, the, my major critique was about sort of the whiteness um, and, and, and imperialism. Uh, sort of like, and we see that kind of too with the murder tourists that are coming into America. Oh yeah, and I was thinking about how that is so interesting because that is like this, that like spreading the like the worst, like the most toxic of Western um, thought. You know, like you know when you think of like, oh, America, we are kind of exporting a certain culture now, and is that good or bad for other places? And you, you know, you have that reading those critiques in different countries that are becoming more like America. Like, is that really a good thing? In some ways, maybe. Um, in this, this I think was like that direct kind of commentary on that. Like, you know, people coming here just to murder other people or to commit other acts of violence. Obviously, The Purge does focus on murder because it's a horror film and that's what it's got to be about, blood and gore. Um, And that is such like the massive taboo crime you can commit. But I posted one of the memes was funny because it was like, do people not see all like the Apple stores in there? Like, (laughs) go get a couple iPads while you're, you know, murdering people, I guess. I I thought that was amazing. I put um, in my notes for when I was watching this, I put South African murder tourist. I'm sure TJ would have something to say about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that'd be very, uh, very, very interesting, you know, and the fact that they because they're the group later that are like dressed as like Uncle Sam and the Statue of Liberty and, you know, this sort of you know, again, taking the worst of American culture, you know, in the sense of, of in this film, this murder and the purge and this whole thing and, you know, dressing themselves in it and killing, you know, people on the streets. It's very, I don't know. I just, I, I'm like, Hmm, that's a very point, you know, pointed commentary happening. Yeah. And, and to your point, I mean, like, you know, we have, the United States has been very intentional about like, you know, the kind of soft power that it wields, right? Because you have the concepts of hard power, which is like the military and diplomacy, and then you have soft power, which is cultural exports and all of that stuff, right? So with, you know, with the kind of soft power that we wield, us, you know, being in control of like a lot of major cinema and the Oscars are the night for film because it, you know, I mean, it's not BAFTA, it's not, (laughs) it's not, and it's, it's exclusively like an American thing. So we, we kind of take those ideas and we, and we do that. And so it's, you know, it's all propaganda. No, yeah, no, absolutely. And it comes with both sides, you know, Mm -hmm. people look and think, you know, Oh, that's a great thing. And and, then in the context of this film, it's, it's the purge. Like we want to come and exercise our right to work out our psychological, um, the beast, you know, unleash the beast, unleash the beast, Uh, you know, so again, not these aren't like, you know, new concepts. We've seen these in lots of uh, films and novels. Um, I think the other the other point I wanted to kind of make, and again, um, you know, <laughs> there's so much. I mean, there this is like there are so many million stories happening in this one <laughs> movie kind of intersecting, um, you know, so trying to get through all this without, you know, talking for three hours. Um, is like sort of murder as religion, uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, that there's, there's always a reason uh, to have God ratify your violence. Uh, even while you wield a book that tells you not to kill as one of the mm-hmm. like, top rules um, or judge, you know, um, and this is very contextually like a, a very Christian, um, you know, type of faith that they're pushing, obviously um, this warped kind of vision. And, and again, that's something we see this. It's very like watching this film. It's like, again, you could take away like the purge and like the killing aspect of it. And it, kind of would be a documentary about, you know, these kind of twisting of, um, you know, religious beliefs and um, government, you know, this like theocratic approach and that people, Mm -hmm. there are people out there very much that want that, you know, and I think of like the handmaid's tale and we kind of were talking about that with contextualizing what happened at the Capitol that the, you know, some of the people that showed up there, you know, have a firm belief that God has chosen Trump and that, that, that this is a prophecy now. And Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter what you do or say, God will intervene and, 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 put Trump there and all this violence um, that again, for some people every day of their life is kind of like the purge, you know, they take a risk to go out on the street to go just, you know, jog down the street to get a drink or to, you know, get a pack of cigarettes. And they're it's certainly and happening day. with um, people who people, people who live in DC right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very uh, scary. Um, you know, and again, we still have children in cages. So, you know, this is not, that far from reality and these same people who will get in a church and talk about God and talk about faith and, you know, religion and being reborn and, you know, getting rid of sin will actively condone this horrifying violence um, in their God's name. And so we're seeing in this film, that's obviously taken to that whole level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to its, um, a, a lot of this is, is sort of like for me watching this film is like 20 years in the future, the inevitable conclusion of all of this, you know, of kind of where we see ourselves now, um, and what, you know, what, sort of where we're heading. Like, I don't think this film is too far from reality, um, and for what could be even more so, you know, like state sponsored violence is a thing. You know, mm-hmm. And we see that enacted in a lot of ways. Not that we would have a purge necessarily. Um, I mean, especially not if the psychiatrist that or the uh, psychologist that we read last week, you know, is mm-hmm. has anything to say that there's no value in therapeutic violence. Um, or her perspective was there was no value in it. But I just think, again, the, the world of The Handmaid's Tale and the world of this, when when you have the this this theocracy mixed with fascism Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know that's it's very very powerful and very dangerous and so again i don't think it's um i don't think it's that far from what could be possible if we don't Mm -hmm. find a way to stand against it and in a more real way than you know vote for this person or vote for that person you know because again we also have sort of what's um this uh Again, I'm bringing, you know, it's just like bringing in these bigger <laughs> concepts. This is going to be like, what was it? The dialectic. <laughs> oh, dialectic materialism. materialism. That's what it was. <laughs> dialectic materialism. Um, so again, the, the, uh, there's this th- theory out there about like the ratchet effect in the American political system. 
mm-hmm. meaning that like uh, the electoral ratchet permits movement in the rightward direction. The Republicans' role is fairly clear. The Republicans apply the torque that rotates the thing rightward. Uh, the Democrats uh, are the Paul. They don't resist rightward movement. They let it happen. But whenever the rightward forces slackens momentarily, they click into place and keep the machine Uh, from rotating back to the left. So there's this idea in every election year, the Democrats come and tell us that the country has moved to the right. And so the Democratic Party has to move to the right to in the name of realism and electability. Got to keep these right wing madmen out of the White House, no matter what it takes. Uh, And so, you know, we can't kind of have that movement. So now the Democrats have moved to the center, but the center has shifted right. Are you following me? Yes. So, uh, so there's this is. Sort I don't of the- know how tools work. So I, but I think I, <laughs> I think I understand what you mean. In this, in this idea, this ratchet only moves things to the right. You know, so there's mm-hmm. not really a, a a way to get back towards the left because, like, you know, it's the idea of like, how did we get to health? education, people shouldn't starve to death, people shouldn't have health issues that cause them to go bankrupt and die. Um, How did we get here? You know, why is that considered a radical left perspective to be like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we should house people, Um, you know, maybe education should be free, or at least way more cost effective, you know, a CEO shouldn't, you know, people like Bill Gates and Elon Musk shouldn't be wandering around with, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars while yeah. people starve to death. These shouldn't be radical concepts. There should be just a, a, just a, a general feeling of like, we should take care of each other. There are but, people who are non-millionaires who are balking at um, the current Biden's proposal for a $15 national minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, like, <laughs> what? I don't, it's like, are, I don't understand why that is so controversial to non-billionaire, non-corporation people. But but no. again, not a politics podcast, but go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, but again, it just comes up because of because of what we're seeing now. So anyways, my point is, is that there's this constant movement towards the right and the Democrats continue to kind of push us to the right. There's, again, lots of illusions of like social or like, you know, um, quote unquote, identity politics. You know, they can mm-hmm. all put pride flags outside of their offices and gay people go, go, oh, Democrats love gay people. Yeah, but do they really show that they love gay people? How? Mm-hmm. How do they love gay people um, or queer people? Um, you know, they can march and, and talk about women's rights and still sit on, you know, the ERA and, you know. These- oh, my God. They can wear kente cloth and kneel at the Capitol. Right. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> yes. You know, but there's just there's some of it that's like, you know, and again. I don't want to totally like dismiss anything because there's always going to be, you know, again, but I I feel it's crumbs, you know, we continue to move and the Democrats say, you know, at least, and not even like the politicians themselves, but like our friends, my friends that are, you know, I consider liberal, neoliberal, you know, vote blue, no matter who. And then what happens when Bernie Sanders is trying to get stimulus checks for everybody? What was it? Four of his fellow senators backed him up, you know, like what the fuck? Um, you know, they're not here for the poor. They're not here for us. You know, they serve bigger interests. Um, and we have seen it, you know, but, but again, and then they put up candidates and they go, well, we have to vote for this guy. We know he's not great. Um, but we have to, or we're never going to get back to the left, but we just kind of keep going more and more rightward. It was funny. Fran Lebowitz, I've been reading, um, her lately and she has that new show pretend it's a city. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and books and things, and you know, obviously she's been a personality, but I thought it was really funny because she was like, um, she was criticizing the racism of Obama or against Obama, uh, you know, and that obviously that's where the right hate him because of racism. And she goes, I mean, I don't like him either because he's far too right. <laughs> he's too, too far to the right for me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was mm-hmm. really funny and really like that it's true. You know, uh, there's a joke like who needs uh, Republicans when you have Democrats like Clinton? <laughs> You know, these sorts of, um, you know, we've just we've seen it over the last few years. And so, again, this movie reinforces that idea that she's like, you have to vote for me. You have to save my life because I'm going to make life better for you. And this, you know, this is how that happens. And it's like, well, how did we get here in the first place, lady? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, like, she's someone who... I mean, she's butting heads against the sergeant, you know, so to go back to the film a little bit, mm-hmm. she butts heads with the sergeant because she's like, she needs <laughs> to go. No, she needs to go. It, she feels like she needs to go and like press the flesh in the crowd. And like, you know, it's right. very, she needs to be approachable in that way. That's, you know, people need to see her, but it's also like a direct threat to her security. And so, right. you know, his whole, it's very myopic his focus he's like i need to keep you alive if i cannot keep you alive if you do all of these you know crazy things you need i need to keep you alive and to see her just kind of yeah to see her be like oh well you know that's okay whatever and i'm like girl you need to listen like (laughs) this is people who are like you know wear a mask don't go outside but then like you know are doing all of these things i'm like no wear a mask don't leave your house unless you can if you're able to stay home stay home type right. of thing no yeah absolutely there is that sort of air of like you know nothing's gonna happen to me it's like girl they changed the rules to kill you mm-hmm. uh, so you might want to be a little more worried you know but again and she brings up that fact that it's like my base isn't going to appreciate that i'm able to ensconce myself in security and protection blah 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 but it's like yeah but you still have it it's not like you're like i'm just gonna go sit in my house with the door unlocked yeah <laughs> You know, so it's, yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know. Again, I mean, it's a fun ride of a film, you know, again, it, it does have that nice because, you know, when she's in the beginning, it's like, okay, how are they going to get her out of there? And so that's kind of a fun whole sequence. And then it's, it is very like, um, ex- exciting, you know, it moves really fast and they're on the streets and, you know, where are they going to go? And, um, we're going to talk about this next time because I do want to talk about, um, you know, to, to wrap this conversation up, like what we would do in the purge and like what, you know, how we think we would respond, you know, and this is like one of those that really, you know, I'm sitting there thinking of different things. Like what would I do in this situation? You know, it is very like, um, you get very sucked in and involved because it just, it Mm -hmm. does, it feels very tangible to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, again, in the same way that I thought, you know, when we watched that first season of the handmaid's tale, like this, I could see this happening. Like there is, there are that, that, structure you know and then when you have those conversations boiling out there of like we're going to storm every capital building in the city or in the in the states like that's like oh my gosh this is how you seize power somehow you know so it's like it's very like uh this is very um you know this is going to come out uh you know on what this is tuesday today right of course it's um uh the magic that's happening this is live right now tuesday the day before the inauguration yes so we are not sure what we're going to see. Obviously, there's been, you know, lots of security and all of that sent over to protect and to keep an eye out. Um, but I'm very, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. We'll see. Watching this film and thinking about 
<laughs> inauguration and then what's to come next, you know, as we continue on, um, mm-hmm. where this country is, is, is extraordinarily divided right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, by hairline margins and, you know, we did not, we may have, uh, you know, whatever won a battle, but this like war is yeah. unending. It seems, um, people aren't just going to drop this and move on. Um, as we saw, they were very invested. <laughs> yeah. And I think, again, this this film really, I, I do think that they kind of saw how, you mm-hmm. know, the thought experiment of like what happens when this goes to its full, you know, extent and you have lawmakers and all gleefully involved and utilizing it to destroy their political opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there are a couple things that I thought were really interesting um just some last thoughts of the yeah, film yeah, yeah. uh in the debate between the minister and the senator in the first like the first part of the movie she makes a comment uh, better angels she uses the phrase better angels which is a direct reference to lincoln's um 1861 inaugural address um where he was right. like now it's the time to appeal to the better angels which is something that has been also been repeated in the last couple uh months as well um there <laughs> uh it hadn't happened yet but this is really interesting that um joe who owns the deli mm-hmm. um t- in talking uh about the senator calls her a nasty woman yeah 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 which was really, I was like, ooh, that's really interesting. And mate, that was when I was like, I need to go back and see if Trump had already said that and he hadn't. Um, it, Wait, it was very- senator, it's the woman that's like flirting with him in the beginning, isn't it? I thought it was the senator. I think that it's a woman that comes into the shop and she's like, I come in to see you. And he's like, oh, that's a nasty woman right there. She's a nasty uh, woman. Oh, I need to look at that again. Okay. Yeah. But regardless, I do think, again, there is you know, looking back on it and applying Mm -hmm. that, I I think is, yeah, I had the same thought, you know, it's like, Ooh, yeah. And then the last thing is, um, you know, this film gives like, you know, probably gave audiences and at the time, uh, probably more left liberal democratic Democrat leaning audiences, the catharsis of a white, white female politician telling a demagogue that she'll beat him on election day. And then like, you know, in my mind, like that happens, people get really excited in the theater. And then like Ron Howard's voice, like from Arrested Development is like, well, that wasn't the case. <laughs> That's right. not what happened. <laughs> um, right. Which again, you have that in those last few moments where it's like, you know, there's, we had reports coming in that, you know, supporters of the new founding fathers are rejecting and are rioting and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, which again, I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to see that we're going to see something happen mm-hmm. um you know throughout this next week um and beyond um you know so dear listener you know sorry for all like the politics and if you disagree with me that's fine um you know that that's your right that's acceptable um yeah you know i do want to see us get back to a place where i feel like we can have rational conversations but again i don't think that the way that i see things is that insane you know, um, we're seeing it come to fruition. And I, and I do think that we, um, you know, we underestimate the scary that's out there, you know, yeah. and the, the organization of it. I'm um, on the left. I mean, I, again, and this goes all the way back to, I remember when Trump was 
Um, and I'm sure I could find it on our, you know, we can go back before he was elected and look on, um, you know, Fright School episodes possibly, but I never had a doubt in my mind that he would be elected. Um, mm-hmm. I'm quite shocked he won, or I mean, I, that he lost. I was pretty sure he would win again. Um, and again, it was close. And obviously we saw in a lot of those states that it was hairline. So there's no reason why he couldn't have, mm-hmm. you know, if, if uh, you know, things being, you know, just slightly different, you know, um, he could have won again. And I, mm-hmm. I think that we have to keep that in mind that those states that flipped, it wasn't by, you know, millions and millions of votes you know it came down to thousands hundreds of thousands thousands you know Mm -hmm. um and then again with the other republican and democrat you know um uh, elections and the runoffs and all of that these were narrow narrow margins so i just um you know it's just, it's just very, very interesting that we're kind of living in this time where horror is able to really respond. <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this, it seemed very much alive. And when I saw this for the first time, you know, kind of getting that, like, this is, this is where this all leads, you know, when he mm-hmm. wins, this is the inevitable, you know? And again, we see a lot of those um, parallels to Nazi Germany and um, other other places yeah. so i don't um, know i guess i don't want to leave this on like such a depressing like moment but i'm i'm depressed that's just the truth of it <laughs> well i and not to depress further but um i want to go back a little because i found what i was looking for so oh, yeah. you you were talking about the um you're talking about how like you know this uh, the mob is an organized mob like right. we're seeing we're seeing that they are the like record numbers of people off duty cops, people who had served in the military, currently serve in the military, have that kind of tactical training. Like these are yeah. people who definitely have like have the training to carry out um, to carry out like assassinations and violence and yeah. And so um, you know, in talking about that and thinking about that, I w- wanted to call attention to. Um, the most the January edition of the New Yorker that's going to be coming out. Um, the, the reporter Luke Mogelson wrote a piece among the insurrectionists, and kind of has been chronicling um, like very um, 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 white uh, white Republican, very right, far right type of uh, activity. Um, but there's also this very jarring video that. Um, they took going into the Capitol and being a part of the insurgency. And so um, I watched that, you know, (laughs) in my preparation for today's episode, I watched that video and it was quite horrifying. The amount of um, the things that were being said all around. And then also just kind of the, again, like, you know, it is organized, but like, again, it's the cohesion. Everyone comes with what, they think it's going to be, but it's, you know, there's no, even the, even as organized as these people are, the, their unifying messages, there is no real unifying message other than, um, other than like, you are wrong. Trump is King, that sort of thing. And that is a very powerful unifying message again. And I think that the underlying like white supremacy and, Mm -hmm. you know, allegiance to this, 
you know, uh, white supremacist, capitalist, hetero, patriarchy, you know, again, not that people are going around thinking about that necessarily, but that is, you know, uh, like I wrote on Facebook, you know, when they're like, oh my God, white supremacists are in the Capitol. I'm like, uh, yeah, they've been paid to be there for years and years. What are you talking about? What white supremacist? You know what I mean? It's that kind of lack of awareness that that is concerning to me uh, from liberal, you know, minded people of like, they're not seeing that analysis that yeah. like, of course they are. They've always been there. Where do you, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know? So yeah. again, having that as a rallying thing, they have this, you know, the election was stolen. It allows them to rally around this one thing and hopefully they'll accomplish a lot of goals. Everybody has different interests that showed up and you do have that group that, that, that internal group that's like grab the senators, zip tie them. We're taking them with us or whatever their plan was that got, you know, that did not happen. Um, and again, I also, like I said right after it, I'm like, this is like monkeys running for the electric fence too. You know, like mm-hmm. how bad will the backlash be? How severely punished will they find themselves or not at all? And then that's also sends a type of signal. Mm-hmm. So, wow, we've gotten really into politics. Somebody's like, you know what? We're not listening to Fright School anymore. <laughs> um, no, th- well, we're, it's a lot. This was kind of, again, we plotted the purge series before chaos we plotted it before the chaos okay this was not again like all this stuff would have still been relevant and we'd still be having you know generally this conversation but i didn't know how um uh, so i mean naturally we're gonna talk about it yeah it just kind of happens so again um you know if you're listening and you're in dc or you're living near a capital building in your state i i hope that you're safe and i hope that you you know stay that way um i hope that things don't happen again it this is very what is it cassandra like cassandra the prophet of doom yeah like troy fell but not by my hand or will we we see that uh nev campbell play that role as sydney prescott in scream 2 uh That was a journey, that comment, and I haven't yeah. seen Scream 2, but apparently it's yeah, really it's just, good. It's so. a moment, but, uh, you know, but again, it is that sort of thing. Like, I do not, you know, I'm not willing any of this to be. I don't, I want people to be safe and I want people to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we've been pushed to such limits on all sides for the poor people involved, the oppressed people involved. You know, this is, a, again, like most wars, this is a war uh, paid for and profited by um, a lot of extremely wealthy white men and their allies and supporters um, who are also rich and wealthy or mm-hmm. wealthy and, um, you know, have power, have access to power. Uh, again, like you said, um, proximity to power. While the rest of us just keep getting pushed further and further down and further and further into poverty and you know, into sickness on all sides. So I do think that there is a common, we do all share truly a common interest in protecting our families and ourselves and of of having a right and an access to a good life. And so I can be empathetic and compassionate for people who showed up and were upset and angry and have, have valid reasons for that. Um, It's just everything else that comes with it. (laughs) It's the, you know, it's the white supremacy of it all is the problem. (laughs) It's it's the the part that really rubs me the wrong way is the white supremacy. (laughs) (laughs) No, but hopefully that makes sense to people. Hopefully you understand like what I'm trying to say, you know, um, is just that we all, 
we all want to have a certain, you know, access to life. And mm-hmm. I, I just think that we, you know, again, we have more in common with each other than we do with our, these overlords. And so there has to be a yeah. better way to have these conversations. But again, the overlords trick us all into hating each other. So, <laughs> and they co-op the media to do it and everything else. So Joe, mm. uh, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> Dear listener, if you're still with us, thank you for hanging on. Oh my gosh. This is, you know, it's going to be a roller coaster. Next week will be very interesting. Uh, as we have we radicalized people, Joshua, with this podcast? I don't think so. They're going to go on and be like, what the hell? These people are not so. We've radicalized them to turn off the, to unsubscribe is what we've right. done. <laughs> um, alrighty. Well, anyways, uh, we will be back to wrap up the purge series next week. And uh, it, hopefully, if there is a, a world where we can record in, <laughs> we will be there. Um, thank you, as always, for listening and for uh, continuing to um, support us and, you know, yay, platform. <laughs> Good night, Joshua. Good night, Joe. School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.